On this week's episode, Alan and I discuss the process for entering your dog into UKC license events before taking a look at RQEs at the halfway point of the qualifying year. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. I'm Trevor Wade. I'll be hosting today. I'm the Coonhound Program Manager here at UKC, and I'm joined by the Director of Hunting Ops, Alan Gingrich. What's going on, Alan? Well, it's another nice day here at UKC in Kalamazoo, so it's I just got back from lunch again, and uh, man, just it's too nice to be working here today. Yeah. Too nice outside. And this week, finally, it feels like uh, spring a little bit, doesn't it? Does. It, it feels so good out there. It's like the perfect day again. Yeah. Yeah, so hunting's a little slowed down a little bit now that the the season's kind of out here, uh, at least on the public land or public land, anyways. But you've been you had a big weekend. You went to a sale, right? Yeah, I did yeah. a little thing on the side here the last couple of weeks. Actually, this weekend I'm doing another one. So yeah, I'm having a little fun with that. Yeah, that doing a little bid spotting for yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. I can see some uh, some big money auctions. I, that stuff is always interesting. Me, I've never been to one though. I guess. Yeah. I guess probably the St. Jude's probably the biggest one I've ever been to. But yeah, you know the other thing that I see at some of these events you're talking about, a couple of them that I did were some some uh, larger horse sale auctions or what have you, and I, I was one of the bid spotters. Uh, but you, they have their uh, they have their uh, registration uh, associations or what have you. Their registries are also in attendance at a lot of those bigger ones. Oh yeah. And it's kind of cool to see a lot of the similarities between that and. And our dog registry and things like that. I try to pick up some things, you know, here and there for it. No different than cattle associations or cattle registries as well, you know. So it's kind of cool to see some of that. Yeah, learn it And see what other other uh, registries do, just like the horse industry, for instance, you know. So it's cool. Yeah, very neat. I didn't think about that aspect yeah. of it. But that's hey, they do cool. some really nice stuff, some cool things, you know. And But we also do some things better than they do. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn from, you can always learn from, from, from different uh, venues like that. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, today, uh, we're, we haven't talked about rules in a while. And today, I don't know if it's necessarily a rule, but it's uh, it's something that we filled a lot of calls on, probably not just for coonhounds, but probably in your rabbit and uh, and uh, squirrel segments and, and all segments, really. And it's talking about entering your dog into events. Yeah. And it applies across the board. You're right. Yeah. For all of our f- different formats. And a lot of them are going to be really similar to this, especially the ones that are in kind of the, the hound and handler formatted events, uh, similar to ours. But, uh, you know, we get a lot of questions about conditional entries and, and entering if you don't have your uh, easy entry card or what do you do if you don't have puppy papers or yep. e- even some uh, more specific things like that. So yep. we're going to talk about that here to start off the show. Yeah, you know, and things are a lot more customer friendly than they used to be back in the the old days. Really, I can remember I went to Autumn Oaks, didn't have my easy entry card with me. Had my dog entered and everything. Did not have my easy entry card. Guess what? Todd Kellum was standing there shaking his head. Can't take my entry. So I know how that feels, you know, and I went to qualifiers before where I didn't have anything, just got turned away, you know, yeah. so the conditional entry is, replaces all that. Made life a lot easier for the hunters, huh? Yeah. Is what you're saying. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, the first thing, if you, in our rule book, there's a whole section, it's actually titled entering your dog, you know, in, in UKC license events. And the first caveat, caveat it has on there, it just tells us that only UKC registered coonhounds can enter into the licensed coonhound events. 
Um, I made just a small few uh, a few small notes. Something that I get calls on sometimes: Can Kerr and Feist compete in the Coonhound events? No, they cannot. They have their own events. They do now. They can in conjunction with you know, as right. you know, in a, a Kerr's can hunt be hunted on squirrel. That's always done on the date in the daytime in squirrel events. Uh, but Kerr's can uh, compete at night in a night hunt. We have uh, separate titles: a night hunt title, just like for a Coonhound for Kerr's, where clubs can have a Kerr hunt in conjunction with, but they hunt separately from right. the hounds. Right. And and a couple other notes. I'm just to, probably things that happen and probably why it's in the rule book. I know when you read back through the through the history of the registry talking about like the field trials, for instance, when those were popular back in the day, uh people entering uh like greyhounds or yeah. whippets or something yeah. in those. Yep. And and so now the the rule book tells us and constricts it only to UKC licensed or sorry, UKC registered coonhounds right. to prevent those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. So first thing, what do we need to do when, or what do we need to enter the event? What, what items do we need? Three things, three things. One is a registration certificate, which is not the most popular. That's a big thing. Most guys don't carry that in their vehicle. And we're talking about the dog you're entering their registration certificate. They, the most common thing is the easy entry cards, little pocket size, easy entry card, uh, that you carry in your wallet. Uh, and, or number three, a picture of, uh, of your easy entry card. Yeah. And that's the easiest thing. Then I would always suggest guys do that. You know, with our phones that we have today, it's so simple. Take a good picture just over the top of it and take a good photo of it, and you will always have that. And then that is so easy. We see that more and more. But uh, you can take, and that's a, a picture with your phone with that easy entry card. That's the easiest thing. You'll always have it on your phone. And we're going to talk about uh, conditional entries here a little bit later where if uh, if I'm running late and why my, um, picture my easy entry card on my phone is good for me to have. Yeah. Hey, not only do you, you don't have to carry your easy entry card with you, get all scuffed up in your wallet or perhaps lost in your wallet somewhere or misplaced, uh, or maybe you leave it on the entry table on accident. Uh, there's a lot of things that can happen to a physical easy entry card. Taking a picture of it's a great alternative to avoid that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned conditional entry. Here we are already. Uh, let's talk a little bit about conditional entry. Can, can we back up one more yeah. point I want to make about why it is important that we have these? And I think we get we get a little uh, sidetracked from this. And, and I know clubs get a little lax sometimes of requiring this if they don't have that. But this is what, if we didn't do this, require some kind of uh, uh, formal entry uh, uh, identification, identification. Uh, when it comes to the reporting end of it, it would get so messy and muddy, or messy and muddy, and it's uh, that's why we need accurate information so we can process these events reports. Uh, you know, with uh, with with no question, you know, make yeah. sure we have the right information on the dogs. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, we have instances instances pretty regular where somebody calls in, they don't have a win on the record, and we go, well, that that's been processed. Let's take a look and see what happened. Pull up the report. The UKC number is just a little bit off. And then maybe they have the yep. handler name there instead of the owner's name. Yep. Then when you go to search that dog in the system, yep. no way you're ever going to exactly. find it. Exactly. And it's just uh, transpose one number on there can cause a big issue. That's yep. why uh, when you're writing down that number, take your time. When you're an entry taker, take that time when double-checking it against that dog identification. The UKC number of the dog is the most important uh, part of that, you know. But uh, if that can be off, you know, and, and mistakes get mistakes happen, you know. Right. we. We see it all the time. You know, night hunts happen at night. The official, it's easy for us to point or fingers at the official. But if you're the guy sitting there at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when de just before deadline and filling out the reports of your winners, hey, you and I know how it is. We've been working just like those officials do most of the time. A lot of them have jobs, right. work all day long, and then sit there that late. Mistakes happen. Sure they do. You know, but, uh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so talking about conditional entries a little bit, which is kind of, I had a call, I was trying to think of what to make for a podcast topic. I actually had a call about conditional entries and the guy was a little confused on what he, he was referring to something that he thought was a conditional entry, but it wasn't. So let's talk about what conditional entries are. When do you pay that extra $5 conditional entry fee? Uh, and the way the rule book tells you, it's basically whenever you have to enter the dog with an alternative form uh, or not, not having any form of identification for the dog. And what that means is uh, maybe I just bought a dog from you and I'm entering it in, in my name and plan on sending the paperwork and there could be an issue there with owner. Uh, owners getting mixed up when we're processing the report, that, that type of deal. So a new owner entering a dog under previous owner's name with their registration certificate or easy entry card. Uh, the second thing would be entering the dog with no form of dog or entering the dog with no form of dog identification, which you just talked about a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. Got no easy entry card, no, no papers, no picture of the easy entry card. You got nothing there. You're just uh, trying to remember the dog's name. Um, and, and oftentimes that's when you may make a mistake on, on transposing a number. Mm -hmm. And the last thing and something that's relatively new over the past, uh, I don't know, five, six years is entering a dog on puppy papers, which well, that, is considered a conditional entry. That in, that actually came entering a dog on puppy papers came, actually came right after we implemented the, uh, the, um, a conditional entry in okay. 2015. So we didn't talk about it right away, but at, as it turned out, we thought, you know, hey, you, yeah, puppy paper, and we'll get into that a little bit here, a little bit later here, but uh, yeah. So conditional entry, that takes up for, you know what, or that makes up for what I was talking about, going to an event, you forgot it for whatever reason, don't have it, yada, yada, uh, at least they're not going to turn me away, or they shouldn't. Uh, they, they can't, by rule, they can't turn me right. away just because I don't have anything. And really, I think we, we still hear it all the time where clubs sometimes or officials sometimes still think they have to show something, some, some, some little thing. They're so and, trained and that way. I know. And so used to that way. And that is not true. Right. You know, if somebody doesn't have anything, don't guess at anything. Just provide the most accurate information you can. And by providing it, we mean by writing that on your entry slip. Yeah. And if you don't, don't take a guess at your dog's UKC number. That's right. a very important part, as we mentioned a little bit ago. But just uh, if you don't know what it is, just don't put anything there. And instead, you might put conditional there on right. that, where it asks for the UKC number or CON. And yes, there's a $5 fee that goes along with it. And again, it's not about the money for that, but it's about making sure, you know, after you do this four or five times, that $5 does add up. And hey, I need to have, I need to have what I need here to, yeah. to make this... Uh, you know, so I don't have to pay that extra, but that's just a makes, makes, if we didn't have that, uh, people would quit bringing their easy entry cards and registration certificates. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one instance that we get a field, some calls and messages on is, uh, I send in my paperwork. I forget to take a picture of my papers or notate the UKC number somewhere. The dog's been permanently registered. I'm just transferring it into my name yep. and I go to hunt it in a hunt. I have no idea what the UKC number is. That's when I would tell them to put in the UKC number, just put conditional or pending, but keep track of where you got your win at. Cause there's a chance, obviously we're not going to be able to process a win for your dog. If we don't have any sort of number there or the correct owner information. So that's whenever you got to take real good, uh, keep good track and keep good notes of where your wins are, what the club was, what the date was. That way we can help you yeah. later down the line. Yeah. And that's where the puppy papers <clears throat> things comes in as well. You know, if, uh, if you've sent your papers off to UKC to get the dog, the young dog permanently registered, uh, you want to put him in a hunt, there's a hunt, you know, you want to go to this where you don't have your papers back. Hey, enter it as conditional. You can do that. Right. You know, so, but there again, you, that's where you want to also, uh, uh, keep tabs of if you did get a cast win or you won with your dog on and you entered it in that manner, keep track of when and where that was, what club and the date, just make a little note somewhere. 
Because once you get your papers back, once you've got the dog registered, you get them back, then call the hunting ops department, our, our department, and tell us the date and the club. And we will go back to those reports and we'll see that this dog was entered as conditional or pending registration uh, and was not permanently registered yet. We'll go back and add those points. Real simple. As long as it you is. have, if you have those dates and times, it makes it really easy. Yeah, we the don't, dates and club, it makes it really I easy. I think some folks think we automatically go back and put them once a the dog's registered. You and I will never know when some, when Todd Kellum has his dog registered. Right. We, that's, that information doesn't come to us. We don't, that, we don't know that. Yeah. We depend on the owner to, once he's got his papers, uh, make it their responsibility to call us. You mentioned a situation earlier, and honestly, this is this is the call that we get the most of, and it's talking about, hey, I was running late for the hunt uh, this weekend, um, so I called my buddy, had him enter, he did a conditional entry for me, and and they just referred to it that as like kind of a catch all, yeah, uh, and that's not always a conditional entry, right? If if I call you and have you enter my dog for me, I may, I could easily send you a picture of my dog identification, and you could enter my dog for me unconditionally it's just basically you're entering my dog and i still have to get there but that's not what we consider a conditional entry but that is something that happens and it could be conditional very easy if i just tell you my ukc number over the phone and have you enter the dog because i don't have anything to show them yeah Yeah. so 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 that's probably the instance where it's uh that terminology is used incorrectly the most yeah but but that's exactly why i was talking about you know a good thing to have it on in your phone or whatever if 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 you're doing that you can easily uh, text that uh, card yeah. to me and say, Hey, can you enter my dog for me? And I have everything right here and, and no problem, no different than you do. And it's just me doing it. I have everything I need. While we're talking about entering dogs, and this isn't something that you'll find in the rule book, but I think it's a good thing to talk about because it's, it's uh, another thing that you hear a lot of questions on. And that's in that situation, whenever I'm calling you to have you enter my dog for me, uh, I'm running behind. And the question I always get is, well, how long, how long do I have after the deadline for, uh, for me to need to be there, uh, you know, obviously whenever we answer those questions, it's hard to give them an exact answer because we don't know how long it takes them to draw cast. How mm-hmm. many dogs you had? How long is it taking to draw cast there? Um, and it can get, a, you know, it, what, what I always tell them is you're kind of, uh, you're kind of at your, the mercy of your cast. Once the cast are drawn and they meet your cast, if you're still not there, then any time that they wait for you, it's kind of just them being courteous. Is that is that right? Well, it is, but we went, we've taken a, taken that a step further. If you enter your somebody else enters your dog because you were running late, we do give you until the your cast is called. And if you're not there at that point, we say they should be scratched at that point. Yeah, we've we've have we have that in writing. We've written about it in the in the uh, advisor columns, and we've done that since 2015 as well. Right. You know, it gives you a little bit of a grace period, you know, but they're not, don't expect them to just your cast to sit there and wait on you. It's not buying you, know, you 30 the, minutes no, or an hour. Not necessarily. It might buy you 5, 10, 15 minutes, yeah. but that may be about it. Right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and we've, and, uh, when I'm talking to different people, sometimes there are uh, instances where the the water can be muddied a little bit. Maybe uh, I'm the, I'm the event official. I'm an officer of the club. Um and we have we have three casts there, and I got two guides on hand. I got one guy that's running behind, and uh, this guide is the I entered his dog for him. He's going to be here shortly. We draw out casts, and he's the one that's not there. In that case, sometimes you have to kind of use your common sense there for that guy because we have to have that guy. Yeah. And yeah. and as a club, and him being a club member and a beneficial, I kind of have to. I can't burn that bridge because that's one of our yeah. our main guides yeah. that we use. So there are instances where, you know. He's a host club. He's a guide. He he couldn't make it there in time, but he is going to be hunting. He's all entered up, and 
and he's going to be ready to rock by the time it's time to cut loose. So. Yeah, I think what, like you said, I think you need to be reasonable with some things like that. But if it's just a matter of somebody running behind like me, just a regular participant, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, they haven't called me because they need me to to guide a cast tonight or what have you, right. you know, so. But yeah, that's a little bit different. So yeah, it's a little bit but, different, different circumstance, but something to plant the seed. Yeah, maybe. absolutely. You know, I think we we I don't think we want to get into great detail about this, but we ran into it a little bit at the regions where we talked about if somebody their their dog has to be there, you know, when they're called out or what have you. Uh, you know, that's that was totally different. I think that's a probably another topic for come for the world zones probably right. later this fall that we'll talk more about that, but. Uh, they were using this, what we're talking about. They were using this for that, but that, that wasn't really intended for that. We were, and that had to do with, uh, with cast, sending casts to a satellite club or to some other location. That's not the same. We don't need those people here. Right. This is, we're talking two different items here, two different things. But right. It's something we'll talk about more before our world zones come up this fall. Yeah, I think we, yeah, we'll probably go work on some terminology on yep. the way that those yeah. run. So. Yep. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. You went into a little bit more depth on the puppy papers, but let's just talk about that process of how it's outlined in the rule because there is a whole section talking about entering dogs uh, that are not permanently registered yet. And when I say that, I can be talking about puppy papers or maybe a pending single registration that you're doing with a with an ex crossbred dog with unknown lineage. Uh, but the way the rule book reads, the owner has 60 days from the date of the event to permanently register the dog for for championship points or wins to be added to the dog's record. So there's a 60 day grace period. If you fail to register your dog within those 60 days, the owner will then incur a $50 charge to have those wins processed after the fact. And that's just to get them to get your papers in. Don't just leave them laying in the drawer or whatever. Just not get to worry about getting your dog registered for six months or a year. You know, get it done. If you're going to enter the dog, put them in, participate with the dog. Yes, we're giving, we're, it's a customer-friendly policy policy here. You can get the dog entered, but then also get your papers sent in. Yeah. Get the dog registered. And we both know it. You may get a win, and you think you'll remember this win forever. But as time goes longer and longer, those details are going to get hazier and hazier. And and there's nothing more frustrating. Just to be – you get a phone call from someone saying, I'm missing a a registered win somewhere. Like, well, all right, it was in 2021 now, two years ago. It was somewhere in Ohio. And that person's frustrated on the phone. You know, it's it. We're looking through tons of reports, yeah. and we're not finding it. It can yeah. just be a very tedious process. Yep. So just get it done, and it makes life much easier for everybody. And like you talked about, uh, keeping good notes, uh, keeping a good, you know, if, uh, keep your win slips from the clubs. Uh, do something. Keep some kind of notation. Take pictures of of your scorecard, of the reports, to keep track of the dates and the uh, clubs where you're getting these wins at. Uh, especially if your dog's not registered, you almost have to because then uh, when you get in touch with us. Real easy. You can just say, hey, uh, April 1st in, at the Kalamazoo Club, I got a cast win. We can easily pull off that report, get the win added for you. Simple. Takes yeah. seconds. You know, talking about win slips, you know, clubs, some clubs aren't just automatically giving out win slips, but most of them should have that little uh, the little packet of win slips to give. If, if, if I really want one, this may be a good reason for me to make sure I get one. Just go ask them for one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hey, if you're any clubs out there that, that need some of those, just get in touch with our hunting office department. We can shoot you some out yep. if you're running yep. out. They come in a little packet of what, like 100, 100 or something, like a little booklet, I guess, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the next one, and this is another thing that can, that can easily make you frustrated if it's done incorrectly, and that's making sure your dog's entered into the correct category. Yeah. Um, 
our, our policy is, is pretty strict when it comes to this. If you were to get a win outside of the correct category that your dog is supposed to be competing on based on its titles or its age, that win's considered illegitimate to us, and it won't count towards your dog's record. Yeah, and that's tough for us to sometimes take those calls. You know, somebody thought they had, for instance, in a night hunt, they thought they had the five registered wins to make the dog a night champion, and we only show four. And, you know, they come in with a champion win. We'll process that win assuming under the assumption that we're just missing one of the registered wins, you know, uh, and, but like I said, we'll go ahead and process it. But in the event that uh, you did only have those four and didn't have five, guess what? That champion win is going to be all for naught. Yeah. And that's by rule. You know, our hands are bound by the rule and there's a reason for it. You can't just jump around a category to category. You've got to finish one before you move on up to the, the next one. But if that happens, uh, that's going to be a, like you said, a, uh, ineligible entry in that yeah. category. That's right. And, uh, and just some examples of that. If you're, if you're listening and you're kind of, uh, kind of confused on what I may be talking about, that'd be like, I have a registered dog and accidentally put it in the champion category, like you're talking about, or if I made my dog a night champion un and unknowingly, uh, I don't, I didn't realize I already had my five wins and entering into another registered hunt, that sixth registered win isn't going to count towards my grand night champion degree now. Exactly. And even even in the bench show, when you think about it that way, be sure you know your dog's date of birth and be able to calculate the the way the classes are. Because if I show my senior black and tan in a junior class at at a show, then that's uh, an illegitimate win as well. It's in the wrong yeah. class, so yeah, got to be sure to be sure of all those things uh, before going and entering a dog in a hunt yep. or a show or or any event. Um, there's a little caveat in there that says neither UKC nor the host club are responsible for any mistakes made by or on behalf of the owner concerning the dog's degree. And basically what that tells us is it falls on the person entering the dog to make sure that their dog's entered in the correct category, class, division, whenever they're entering the dog. And uh, just take your time, make sure you're in the right one. So let's talk about who competes against who at these events whenever you're in, in, entering into events. Um, our night hunt, field trial, and water race, they're all the format of those events are all really similar. There's two different uh, divisions or categories, however you want to talk about it. There's the registered, which have not yet accrued a title in that in that event, and then the champion division after you make, let's just take hunts, for example, night champion, uh, and the champion division would have both night champions and grand knights in it. Um, the only play, there's a there's a few exceptions. One, of course, Autumn Oaks, where the grand knights hunt alone. That They all hunt on Friday night at Autumn Oaks. And then the seven charter breed days. Um, some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them hunt their night champions and grand knights together. I think the Redbone guys do that at uh, National Redbone Days. And a lot of them, though, they split their night champions and grand knights up uh, in the hunt and also in the field trial and water race. Uh, usually have bigger entries there and uh, and have the ability to do that. So that's how that works. And then uh, talking about more specific events, events like slams, RQEs, uh, zones, regions for the world, and uh, TOC finals, uh, all dogs draw out together there, regardless of your category, all that stuff. But that's not what we're talking about here. And then getting into the bench show side of it, again, there's uh, bench shows are the same no matter what uh, in a licensed bench show. You've got your registered category where you go if you don't have a bench show title yet, where you'll be separated by your class, which is the age of your dog, by your breed, and then uh, ultimately by your sex uh, when you get to the show level. You'll be shown against just dogs of your own sex. And then there's the champion category for those that have made champion but not made, yet made grand. And then there's two the classes, grand champion category. Two classes, and that's by sex, yep. That's right. Males go against males and females in both the champion and grand champion category. So you're only shown against your own sex. 
you'll see at some of the bigger shows, like you mentioned, Autumn Oaks, you know, they will separate them even in the champions and grand champions by breed first. That's just because there are so many of them. Right. Break it down to one dog of each breed, and then they put those, you know, those seven dogs in there for the champion win and all this and that. But, yeah. Otherwise, all males against males, females against females, regardless of breed or age. Yeah. And then uh, moving on to uh, another part of the entry process, and that's multiple entries. Yeah, that's a good one to talk about. Yeah. So uh, so the way it works is in if in the night hunt, field trial, water race, again, all very similar. Owners having multiple entries will have dogs drawn to separate cast or heats if it's a water race field mm-hmm. trial, if possible. Those are the two main words there, right, if possible. Hey, and there's another good one I want to bring up. Another good reason why it's important to have that, that the entry, whoever's taking the entries, that they check those registration papers or the easy entry card for multiple owners on there, because any one of those owners, in Coonhounds anyways, any one of those owners uh, is, uh, is is a part of that ownership, that multiple uh, ownership. Um, so sometimes, let's say you and I and Todd Kellum own a dog. I'm the first owner. I enter the dog. Oftentimes those guys might just put, I might just put me down as the owner. Right. And guess, guess what? You have also got a dog in the hunt. And now they would have no way of knowing, let's say you and I draw out together. Now we've got a problem. Well, it started with me not putting it on my entry slip, but number two, the entry taker, if they were paying attention, they should have noticed it and probably put it, made sure I put on it your, down. On your easy entry card, um, they would have saw all the owners. They would have seen all the owners and make sure to put that on the entry slip so that doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and when we talk about how it must be, uh, there must be enough dogs entered in to make it possible for you to split right. Uh, I put down a couple examples just of this. Let's say we go to a, a local event here. They got seven registered dogs in the hunt, and two of them are in my name. I, me and my buddy came. We're both hunting dogs that yep. I have in my kennel. Um, with there being seven dogs entered, there's going to be two casts. It's, it's going to be the uh, when they're drawing casts, they're going to put one on each cast. Mm-hmm. And I put a note in here. Uh, I don't get to choose which of my dogs goes on which cast. The inch, the person drawing the cast doesn't has to be a random draw we yep. don't get to pick and choose which cast yep. our dogs are on uh now let's go to another one here i am uh, or let's just say same hunt there's four dog there's four dogs in the champion category and two of them are yours uh what in that instance you don't make two casts under no circumstance do you make two do two dog casts we see that happen to sometimes split it here. for some reason but yeah. yeah you don't do that with being four dogs we know from our cast breakdown sheet that four dogs is one cast can't split it up into smaller cast to, just to to satisfy you or to to make you happy. If there's yeah. four dogs, there's one cast, uh, regardless, and that just means that your two dogs have to hunt against each other. Even if I have three dogs in it, doesn't matter. Yeah, you could have the only three dogs, and <laughs> yeah. you're just gonna have yeah. have your three dogs in there. You can't yeah. uh, can't make nor, more casts or heat than the entries necessitate. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yep. um, so that's just that's talking about that. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add in there about multiple entries, or is that we can pretty much covered that? No, not really. Not other than that's that may be a time when uh, when clubs split that up or officials split it up. Uh, uh, you know, that is not uh, by by rule like that, like you mentioned, uh, where the rules don't allow you to do that. That may be a time where we don't give those cast winners any wins. Yeah, absolutely, and we've done it. Yep, absolutely we've done it. Uh, the and the kind of the last part of our stuff here talking about entries is the right to refuse entry. And that's another one that uh, can get a little sticky and we get calls in from both sides sometimes. Yeah. You know, the other thing I think we should sometime do a podcast or I would love to do something on, on entering dogs. You know, there's different ways. A fair draw is a fair draw. You don't have to do it this way. We have it outlined in the rule book. This is a suggested way. Doesn't mean you have to do that. 
there's there's certain things that I feel like I have learned over the years. You know, as you see sometimes for multiple entries, they put an X on the back or something. So when they're drawing them out that they don't have, uh, so those two X's don't land on the same card. Well, that kind of works if there's only one guy with multiple owners or uh, with multiple dogs in the in the hunt. Right. But what if there's two or three or four? Now you have a bunch of X's. Now you don't really know. And, and the other thing that I don't like about that is perception. Yeah. We talked about perception a couple of episodes ago. Here's another one with perception. Somebody's looking on, doesn't know what my little marks mean or whatever. They think, oh, he's just trying to, uh, you know, he's he's trying to kind fudge the draw here, fix the draw here a little bit. And you just get away from that. But the the thing, the example that you gave with seven dogs in there and you own two of them, Probably what I would do as an official, I would take your first two entries, just those two, mix them up a little bit, throw one here and one here. Yeah. Now I know I do that before I put anything else on. Right. Just some little thing, just be reasonable, something that's fair, you know? Yeah. So there's not a set way to do it, but uh, it's that can get a lot more difficult if there's, if you have 40 dogs yeah. in a class, yeah. maybe, maybe yep. at a breed day or something. Yep. In that case, what we do oftentimes is draw them all out to cast, yep. flip them over them, but don't stick them. Yep. And then just go through each card and make sure there's no multiple owners yep. before you ever stick them. Yep. That way you can avoid that. Yeah. And you have a, we do that a lot of times. We have an A dog in the A position, A, B, C, and D for four dogs. And it, let's say, uh, let's say D and C are the same, the same uh, owner uh-huh. here. What we do is just take the next card over here and do the same thing. Just flip this bottom dog, flip it over with the D dog yeah. on the bottom of the next card. Yeah. You know, just some things like that. You don't have to go pull them all up and redraw everything. Right. Just something reasonable. Just be consistent with the way you're going to do it. Well, let's talk a little bit about another uh, topic, and that is the right to refuse entry. Um, I'll, first off, I'll just read exactly what the rule book says, word for word here. It says, local club management has the right to refuse entry to any dog or handler. However, no handler shall be refused or barred on basis of religion, race, color, natu- national origin, age, or gender. So it's pretty straightforward, and and what it does is basically is it gives the club, um, the opportunity to, uh, you know, uh, refuse or uh, refuse the entry for a troublemaker deal deal yeah. with their problem individuals yeah. that they've had. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great I think it's a great thing for a club, to, a great tool for a club to have. You know, sometimes uh, clubs can fix some of those problems at their level with, without taking them to United Kennel Club or even filing uh, complaints. You know, just like hey. It does a couple things. When clubs that do that, it does a couple things. Not not only uh, do they take take care of their problems that they have or problem individuals per se, but their other participants also see that and uh, it kind of kind of sets a, a eye opener. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. You know, hey, I'm gonna have to, you know, conduct myself appropriately here. The club is going to take care of it, you know, and maybe refuse my entry if I don't. Yeah, a lot of those conversations that we have with people go. That they're all really similar. That we have this one guy who every hunt he comes to, he's causing issues. Nobody wants to draw him. If they do draw him, they withdraw or they demand a non-hunting judge or they flat when they see him there, they'll just turn around and go to the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, what can we do? And that's whenever that's whenever you want to use your right to refuse an entry there. Yeah. But he's starting to he, he's having to he's he's harming the club now at this point. He's He's having an effect on the hunt. He's uh, affecting your bottom line as a club, your ability to to stay above water, and and he's really having a toll on on the club at that point. Um, yeah. But we always give them. I, I've got this from you and a couple recommendations that you always give to people, and I've started doing them on my on my own too. And the first thing, don't handle it at the next time at the next hunt that you have. Don't yeah. when you come up to the entry table and that's the first time you hear that I'm not accepting your entry yeah. anymore. That can cause a pretty big ruckus yeah. there and a scene for everybody. It's going to be. 
not pleasant for anybody. It's not going to be comfortable. It's nobody's going to be reasonable when they're when they get angry like that. The thing to do is to get ahead of it and send out a letter, a, 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 some written documentation that you can file away in your club paperwork. And the person knows well ahead of time of the event that, hey, they're not going to accept my entry. Maybe detail why you're not accepting his entry. And another thing is to give them a time frame uh, where you're not accepting their entry. Maybe, uh, you know, hey, we're not accepting your entry for the next six months. You know, we have four events during the six months. We're not going to be accepting your entry uh, for these six months. After that, hopefully, uh, you know, your attitude and outlook on things have changed and you can come back to the club and we'd be happy to have you. Yeah. You know, I think doing doing that does, it takes care of that thing that you mentioned, you know, a problem, an individual comes there and now we have an issue, you know, hey, you know, why and this and that. But yeah, send the letter and uh, uh, and let, it's important to let them know why. You know, if they don't, guess where they're going to, the first place they're going to call is United Kennel Club. They want to get get the club in trouble somehow. And, and you and I know how those conversations go. They're always generally very one-sided, you know, hey, I didn't do anything. They have no reason, da, 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 you yeah. know. Let them know why. And the other thing, you know, and the rule that you said, it does not make any mention of you having to do this. This is just what we suggest, and it's the best way to handle it. Number two, the other thing that you mentioned is to give them a time frame. This rule also doesn't tell them that they have to give them a time frame. But what that does when you do it, it makes it doesn't make you out to be the bad person. You know, if it's like, hey, we're trying to correct this problem that we have, and uh, after so much time, we are going to let you back in, and then the ball's in your court. You know, and hopefully that fixed the problem. If not, there's going to be zero tolerance for it. And then maybe make it longer or for a year or two years or what have you, instead of just kind of taking the initiative that, hey, we're going to bar this guy for life. Yeah. Uh, hey, it just makes the club look a whole heck of a lot better if, you know, if you, uh, uh, I, I think, you know, and the thing is, I don't have to like somebody. I don't necessarily have to be your buddy or I can, maybe I don't really care for you or your dogs. And, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a, you can't conduct yourself. So long as you conduct yourself appropriately, what's the problem? Shouldn't be a problem. Sure. Yeah. And I always, you know, before it ever gets to this level, maybe have you had a conversation with the person? I mean, I know there's, there's some instances where the person is just completely unreasonable and you can't get through to them, but sometimes a, a phone call conversation, or yep. maybe even we see them face yep. to face and just pull them aside yep. for a second. Like, Hey man, uh, we're getting a lot of complaints about you out there in the woods. And it's honestly, it's having an effect on our club. Yep. And you've been a member of our club now for how long, uh, maybe it's something maybe you can really think hard about that, or we're going to have to take it to the next step, which is not accepting your entry. And yeah, maybe that might open their eyes a little bit. Hey, that's a good point. I'm glad you bring it up because that does work as well, too. Maybe that's the first thing you do before you refuse their entry, you know. And, and the other thing I would add on to that is don't do it out in front of everybody. Do it no. do it in private with this individual. You know, there's no sense in in, uh, in hanging the guy, you know. That's, yeah. you know, just uh, – and oftentimes that works, too. Yeah. And if not, then, then you take the other avenues. Yeah. And the last thing, I, UKC – you know, we, we don't, you know, tell somebody to refuse your entry. We don't tell them otherwise. We don't govern. We don't have governing power over the clubs. We license their events. We approve their events, yep. but we, we're not voting members of the club and we don't put bylaws into place and we don't decide who's going to be uh refused entry at the club and that sort of thing. When you have issues like that, you got to take it to the club. There's only so yep. much that we can do for yep. you. And one, one last thing I would like to add to that is that I would caution clubs is, Deal with folks that have made problems at your club. 
Yeah. Don't get involved when you get when you get caught up in he said she said about what happened here at this neighboring club or they did this and that and now you're going to refuse their entry because of that. Um, be careful with that. It can it can kind of come back and bite you a little bit. And like, okay, if I haven't made any or you haven't made any trouble at our club, why really? Why am I why am I refusing your? I don't govern that other club or I'm not taking care of their issues. They should do that, not me. You know, so that's the other, that's the other thing I would suggest to consider staying away from that. Alan, we both had Daltra Pathfinder 2s now for a little while. What do you think about yours? I'm liking mine. One of the things I had the opportunity to now download a map of an area where I did not have service and I've used it there and it has worked flawlessly. I love it. Yeah, I love the crystal clear maps. I love that I never lose reception on my dog's collars anymore. Highly recommended by me as well. Dogtra Pathfinder 2, the official GPS collar partner of UKC. Well, as we're sitting here today in the middle of May, we're almost exactly halfway through with our uh, RQE processing at this point. Obviously, I say processing. Uh, we're... Uh, obviously, that's always a, a couple a week or two behind, depending on when the reports get to us. But as we're sitting here right now, out of 178 RQE night hunts we have throughout the year, 90 of them have been processed as as of me compiling this information. Yeah, so that is about exactly halfway into August. The season ends the last weekend in August. And I always, I always kind of do a halfway point type of deal on the forums, and I make a post about it on social media. Uh, just I just like seeing these kind of numbers and seeing how the first half of the year against the second half of the year and different things like that. And uh, I just like looking at numbers, period. And I thought this might be interesting for some people to hear. Um, so as of right now, out of 90 RQEs, that, night hunts that we've had this year, we've had a little over 1,800 entries, 1,819. And that comes out to roughly uh, 20.2 dogs per RQE night hunt. Um, as of this point, 407 hounds are qualified for the World Hunt Zones about halfway through so uh that's that's that number is a little bit up from last year whenever the finals were in tennessee and we know we know when it goes uh on the outskirts of our boundaries that it's going to be a little lower than usual but i'm i'm uh, pleased with 407 this year a good jump from last year and uh let's talk a little bit about our some of our top performing uh qualifying events this year yeah, yeah i like that yeah like we, that. we talk a lot about individual dogs and people but let's shout out some yeah. individual clubs that are performing well. you know a year or two after i started here back in the early 2000s i guess i used to do that at the end of each year for clubs the top 10 clubs and that was a good thing and yeah. i really only kind of quit because they kind of took this one program away that i used to use for it and uh but now again we have a a, a better system in place to get this all this information so this is cool and and I loved giving props to clubs, you know, and, Absolutely. and they love, they like that too. And Absolutely. we should. The, so the, the number one night hunt RQE this year was the South Carolina State Cooners Association. They're a hall of fame event there in Manning, South Carolina. They had 58 night hunt entries. It's a great number. That happens in what, February? Was that in February, yeah, March, February or March? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's the end of January. I think it's and like Jan January twenty seventh, twenty eighth. So it's a couple weeks before their state championship. So this isn't in, this isn't uh, bound in with their state championship. That event's a couple weeks later, and it's actually yeah. uh, hosted by the late DARPO Coon Hunters. They, uh, South Carolina is yeah. a little different than yeah. other associations, yeah. but 
58 entries. That's good. That's really good. Uh, number number two here, and one that's always near the top, is the the all-black RQE at the American Black and Tan Association. Uh, that event just happened in Mount Gilead, Ohio. They had 54 black and tans enter on Thursday night yeah. at the RQE there. And they had a lot more dogs than that enter today because they have like three different classes or three different events you can enter for on Thursday night. One is the RQE. There's what, a pup the hunt? all-black, the pup hunt. Yeah, a non-licensed, all just a fun hunt. Yeah, so. Yeah. But 54, and they're all all black RQE. Yeah, Ben Sheets from Tree Talk, he was uh, down there taking our wind pictures for us. And he was, uh, there was six first place dogs because there was some youth hunts too. And he was, uh, yeah. so I was like, I'll help you sort these out. There's so many first yeah, place dogs yeah. tonight. I'll help yeah. you sort this out. Yeah. They uh, do a good job with it. They, they do. They have a committee like for each one of those separate uh, classes or, or hunts, you know. So they do a good job. Oh, yeah. They have it figured out. Yep. Uh, number three here with 47 entries is Ashland County Coon Hunters uh, Incorporated in Ashland, Ohio. They've always had great numbers up there. It's kind of a, that's where you're going to see about as many blue ticks as anywhere in the country is yep. right there in Ashland, right in that area. Just a, a, a lot of them up there, but good club. Uh, a num- uh, coming in number four here, Fulton County Coon Hunters Association, 44 entries in Ladders Ford, Indiana. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, you, I asked you earlier today when that one was at the end of January as well. So this is in, in Indiana, central Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. And end of January, it can be weather can be anything, but I think they actually had we had a good break in the weather, and I they just flocked out to that one. But not just that, but there's a, a point I want to wait, make about Lighters Ford. You know, I've seen good clubs over the years. We talk about that sometimes. Good clubs kind of fall off, and then you have other clubs that really pick it up. And I can tell you, Lighters Ford is one of those that in the last five, six, seven years has really picked it up. Kudos yeah. to them. Absolutely, forty-four entries in their qualifier. Uh, coming in at fifth here with 39 entries is the Long Hollow Coon Hunters Club in Somerset, Kentucky. Yeah, I got to say something about this. <laughs> I'm in southern Kentucky here, but the year before last, I think. And uh, I, I forget the town now. I think, what? Uh, I forget the town now. I was at a Beagle event, and and I'm cruising along this one highway there, and I see a sign for uh, Long Hollow Coon Hunters Club. And boom, I look over, there it is, just out in the field, just a narrow little clubhouse out there in the kind of in the middle of nowhere. That's the Long Hollow Coon Hunters Club, Somerset. There we go. Yeah. It's like, I I recognize that name, you know. The only RQE in Kentucky so far. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, 39 entries. Good good entry for it. Number six here with 38 entries, Northeast Missouri Coon Hunters Association. They're in northern Missouri, in Kirksville, Missouri. Uh, Number seven, Pickaway County Coon Hunters Association in New Holland, Ohio. Uh, this is their first RQE. You got it to them this year, and 37 entries. They came through big with that. Got a couple here tied for eighth, uh, each with 33 entries. That's the Lisbon Area Coon Hunters Club in Lisbon, Ohio, and the Mid-Missouri Coon Hunters Association in Fayette, Missouri. Both have been great clubs for a lot, a lot of years. Old, old clubs. And then a familiar club for you, I'm sure, with 32 yeah, entries here, yeah. Whitley County Coon Hunters Association yeah. in Columbia City. Yeah, I might have a few pictures on the wall up there at that club. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh just hey, for, you know oh, what's you know what's really cool about this club and nobody else thinks about this but it's just from being out of it for so long but you go into the clubhouse and they still have the big old white sheet up there with the club rules on it uh, that's yeah. something i wrote like 25 years ago and it's still <laughs> hanging there they still use the same rules that's just so cool to very me. cool yeah uh real uh real quick here the top five states in uh rqe night hunt entries number one ohio a lot of Ohio clubs on there that we just talked about in the top five, uh, top ten. Uh, number two, Indiana, saying they had uh, two or three there in the top ten. Missouri came in at three. 
South Carolina fourth and North North Carolina fifth right now. So that's where we're sitting yeah. at halfway. Yep. A lot could change over the next sure. uh, four months, but that's where we're at at the halfway point for the night hunts. Yeah, glad to see those Carolina clubs having be on the list here. On the bench show side of things, uh, we're almost exactly the same as the night hunts. Obviously, there are some night hunt only RQEs. There's some bench show only RQEs. Uh, right now, we're, we've processed 90 of the 179 scheduled RQE bench shows. Um, right now, 606, 660 entries have been placed in the night hunts. That's a that's an average of 7.4 per RQE bench show. Uh, and as we're sitting here right now, 349 hounds are currently qualified for the world finals. Yeah, that number could be a little skewed because those uh, in the bench shows, a dog, even though already qualified, unlike the night hunt part, they can re-enter another qualifier. Yep. Just for wins or points or whatever. Yep. And I'm looking at the number one here. And so what, there's some duplicates in there. Is that's what I'm that's saying. right. Yeah, there will be multiples in there. That's right. I'm looking at the number one performing club here, and uh, and just overwhelmingly, 37 entries. The next one is 21 here, but 37 entries, and this is at the Wayne County Cooners Association uh, RQE bench show in Milton, Indiana. And this is a standalone bench show. They don't have a qualifying hunt that night. It's just a bench show. Um, they do it there. They call it the Christmas Classic. It's right there around Christmas. Sometime. Yeah, it's a good time to do it as well. Yeah, not a whole lot happening. They have a nice clubhouse there. It's uh, uh, right close to Autumn Oaks. There, around not far from Richmond. Yeah. So, so great job to all the Wayne County Cooners. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got to give Angie a, some Angie Cable some props. I'm sure uh, she she uh, helps a lot with that on the Wayne County side. So. Uh, number two club here, Shell Rock Cooners Association in Shell Rock, Iowa. 21 entries at their bench show this year. Yeah, the Shell Rock has always been a great club. Always Ever since is. I've been here, they've always had good numbers up there in Iowa and, and one of the better clubs up there for sure. Yeah, they always have strong hunt and show yep. entries, both. They it's excel good, good both. to see they still have that. Uh, number three here, one of the newer RQEs that we have, uh, Orange County Cooners Association in Rapidan, Virginia. 19 entries. Uh, number four, again, here is one that was just on the hunt list, Northeast Missouri Cooners Association in Kirksville, Missouri. They had 18 bench show entries. Uh, we have three here tied for fifth with 17 entries apiece, uh, Mercer County Cooners Association in Greenville, Pennsylvania, Heart of Dixie Coonhunters in Ozark, Alabama, and the uh, American Leopard Breeders Association. Uh, they had their event in Holmesville, Ohio this year, and that was a leopard-only RQE, 17 leopards entered. And then uh, tied for eighth here, we have Appalachian Coon Hunters in Beverly, West Virginia, 16 entries. And the American Black and Tan Association, uh, obviously in Mount Gilead, Ohio, with 16 entries as well. And rounding out the top 10 is the Ashland, Ohio uh, RQE show with 15 entries. So hmm. I'll be interested to see how many of these are left on there when we're done with the qualifying season. Yeah. But uh, right now, our top five uh, states in RQE bench show entries total. Again, the top three are unchanged, Ohio, Indiana, and Missouri. Uh, fourth is Virginia, and fifth is Iowa. We'll see how that looks after after we're all done with the qualifying season. So now we're going to go and we're going to continue talking about our uh, Grand Champion Hall of Fame dogs. Oh, here we perfect. are. We've uh, we, there's 64 of them total. Obviously, we we split them up a little bit because that'd be a little tedious and uh, dogs will get lost in the shuffle when we're talking about them. Uh, this is a list that was compiled back in fe- on February 28th when we first did our first uh, first list when we talked about the the black and tans and the leopards and that was back on episode 44. If you want to go back and listen to that, if you were to miss it. Uh, we recently talked about the blue ticks on episode 51. Um, so today we're going to talk about English plots and red bones. Sounds so good. We'll get started out with the English coonhounds here. We have nine of them that have achieved the Grand Champion Hall of Fame title. Uh, five males and four females, so almost a perfect breakdown here. And the first one we're going to mention is Grand Champion Hall of Fame Bear Branch Bobby Lou. 
This is a female English dog born in February of 2013, owned by Mike Seats of Stonefort, Illinois. Yeah, that's a dog that Mike did a lot, a lot of winning with. And, and uh, folks that have been showing in, in our shows for a good number of years will know this name, Bobby Lou. Won a lot of shows. She's off of night champion, grand champion, little hoss. And the dam is grand champion, Missy Joe, bred by Terry and Mary Joe Murray. Uh, with 45 grand champion wins total, earned this degree in May of 2020. One of those who, who didn't get a lot of those wins at the local level. He's traveling around to the major events almost every week. That's right. That's right. And she won a lot of major shows. Second one on the list here, another another uh, dog you see a lot in, in some of our major events, Grandfield Champion, Grand Water Champion, Grand Champion Hall of Fame, TaylorMade Mystic Fiddler HTX. This is a male born in August of 2014, owned by Lisa Watson of Harrodsburg, Kentucky. Yeah, this dog is off of Lisa's male, uh, Grand Champion, Grand Knight Champion, Taylor's Rasputin uh, HTX, and is off of Confirmation Grand Champion PR Allen's Little Gold Magic now, Gold Magic was a dog that was also winning the annual series back in the day and did a lot, a lot of winning, uh, bred by Lisa Watson. 44 grand champion wins here for Fiddler, uh, earned the degree in May of 2020. The third English dog here is Grand Champion Hall of Fame, Rolling Thunder Calico Patty. It's a female English, born in May of 2012, owned by Neil Honey of Kennedy, New York. Yeah, Neil is a guy that we don't see very often, but he's always at English days, it seems like. He's always at Autumn Oaks, and, and uh, he's getting a little up there in age, but Calico Patty is one he's done quite a bit of winning with uh, at, at all those, at English days and, and Autumn Oaks, and obviously around his area there at all the clubs. But this dog is off of Grand Champion, Lakeland's Rusty HTX, and the dam is Grand Champion, Rolling Thunder, Hillbilly Dixie, bred by Mr. Neil Honey with 45 grand champion wins total, earned the degree in August of 2020. Rolling right along here, we got night champion, grand champion Hall of Fame, Kentucky Mountain, Let It Rain McCade. It's a male born in January of 2015, owned by Terry Jessup of Rural Hall, North Carolina. Yeah, it seems like any show that I've announced, any of our bigger ones, whether it be Winter Classic or The World or somewhere, this dog was always always in those shows. Uh, this dog is off a world show champion, night champion, confirmation champion, grand champion, Hall of Fame, Kentucky Mountain Diamond Cutter, which we'll probably have him on this list, I guess, since we're talking about English dogs. That's the sire. The dam is grand champion, Ozark Mountain, Kentucky, and bred by Brianna Potash and Joseph Carlisle. 44 grand champion wins total, earned the degree in September of 2020. Here's another one good here. I see this this dog got a lot of events. Uh, Grand Champion Hall of Fame, Green Acres, Roscoe Willie. It's a male born in February of 2013, owned by Alan Pfaff of Wayne City, Illinois. Yeah, Willie is off of Night Champion, Grand Champion Little Hoss, and the dame is Grand Champion Missy Joe, bred by Terry and Mary Joe Murray. Uh, 50 Grand Champion wins total, earned the degree in March of 2022, so just here in this last year. Litter mate to, to the first dog there. Yep. Sure is. Bobby Lou. Bobby Lou, yep. And here's the here's the world champion you just mentioned right uh just a second ago. World cha- world show champion, night champion, confirmation champion, grand champion hall of fame, Kentucky Mountain Diamond Cutter. Uh this is a male English born in April of twenty eleven, owned by Penny Turner of Jackson, Kentucky. Yeah, I remember this dog when I remember when it won the world show there in LaGrange, Indiana there and uh uh out of or out of confirmation champion, grand champion, PR Kentucky Mountain, Moonlight Diamond and champion Kentucky Mountain Moonlight Chloe, which is both of those are Michigan dogs, uh, bred by Penny Jessup and Sienna Spieth. And Sienna and, and her husband live here in Michigan. 40 grand champion wins total, 
earned the degree in April of 2022 for Diamond Cutter. And here's a Fiddler's Littermate, looks like. Grand Champion Hall of Fame, Taylor Made, It's Magic Again. It's a female born in August of 2014 and, again, owned by Lisa Watson of Harrodsburg, Kentucky. Yep, and the Sire Taylor's Rasputin and Allen's Little Gold Magic that we talked about a minute ago, bred by Lisa Watson. 41 Grand Champion wins, uh, earned the degree in June of 2022 for It's Magic Again. Next one on our list here is Night Champion, Water Champion, Grand Champion Hall of Fame, Confirmation Champion, Down Creek's Blue Ranger. It's a male born in February of 2018, owned by Justin Hofstetter of Pleasant Hill, Missouri. Yeah, this dog is off of a Night Champion, Mr. or Main Street, Mr. Clutch, and the dam is Confirmation Champion, Field Champion, Grand Champion, Down Creek's Blue Heat, uh, bred by John Pennington. This dog has 42 grand champion wins total, earned the degree in July of 2022. And rounding out our English hounds, our nine English hounds that have got the grand champion Hall of Fame title is confirmation champion, grand champion Hall of Fame, Jessup and Company, Our Girl Pearl. A female English born in February of 2013, owned by Cindy Osenbaugh and Terry Jessup. Uh, Cindy's out of Genoa, Ohio. Yeah, uh, another dog we've seen in the lineup a lot of times at uh, all of our major shows. Uh, dog is off of Moonlight Annihilator and uh, Grand Champion Moonlight Dazzler, uh, bred by Jason uh, Spieth here in Michigan. Forty Grand Champion wins earned the title or earned the degree in July of 2022. I, I knew Pearl made it. I remember Cindy coming up at uh, Automotive when she was entering her into the show, and uh, you know she was probably nine years old at the time, yeah. and she was thinking probably didn't have much of a shot in the Grand Champion class there but she wanted to hear everybody to hear that grand champion hall of fame title so yeah that's yeah, pretty cool yeah that's yeah. pretty cool uh moving on to our plot hounds we have five plot hounds uh one male and four females is the breakdown and the first plot hound to make grand champion hall of fame was grand champion hall of fame allen's tree smoking real deal a female born in november of 2010 owned by alan moore of rivesville west virginia yeah, this dog is sired by Allen's, that's Grand Champion Allen's Tree Smoking Nitro, and the dame is Champion Allen's Tree Smoking Breeze, bred by uh, Alan Moore. 56 Grand Champion wins total, earned the degree in May of 2015. Always like seeing those bred by, owned by, handled yeah, by. It's yeah, a good job, go. Mr. Alan Moore. Exactly. Uh, here's a familiar name for me. Uh, the past couple of years here, see this dog everywhere. Grand Champion Hall of Fame, J&K's Honky Tonk Queen female plot born in july of 2015 owned by larry barbara and bobby jenkins of thornburg virginia yeah this dog is sired by grand champion showbiz taking care of business and grand champion 2pr show business or showbiz she's honky tonk babe she's a honky tonk babe uh bred by ladonna williams 42 grand champion wins total for this dog earned the degree in march of 2020 for larry jenkins uh honky tonk queen dog Next dog here, Grand Knight Champion, Grand Champion Hall of Fame, Sourwood Mountain Pocahontas Three, female, born in February of 2012, owned by Caleb Flowers of Pikeville, Tennessee. Yeah, sired by Knight Champion, Grand Champion Pocahontas Food Stamp, and is uh, off of Grand Champion Sourwood's Pocahontas Sioux, bred by Jason Bigford. 41 Grand Champion wins total, earned the degree in October of 2020. Fourth plot dog here is field champion, water champion, confirmation grand champion, grand champion Hall of Fame, Bowser's Toby, a male born in uh, April of 2017, owned by Brian and Jessica Bowser of Green Cove Springs, Florida. 
Yeah, we've seen Brian with this uh, showing this dog a lot over the years, or I have in the last couple of years, anyways, I guess, and uh, and he's and he's done very well with him. Obviously, uh, has all those other titles on the dog. It's not just uh, is not just showing the dog dogs in in uh, field trials and water races all the time, but this dog is sired by confirmation champion, grand field champion, grand water champion, grand champion Bowser's Luke, and the dam is PR Penny May that was bred by Julius and Prima Moss. 46 grand champion wins for this dog, earned it in July of 2021. And rounding out our plots is grand champion Hall of Fame, Allison's Still Miracle. Uh, it's female, born in February of 2015, owned by Kay Allison of Old Fort, North Carolina. Yeah, uh, Kay Allison, the, the Allisons, if you know anything about the plots, they're a familiar name in the plot uh, in the plot breed, and they are bear hunters for the most part, you know, and uh, they've had some outstanding dogs and, and some good-looking dogs. Here's Allison Steel Miracle, one of those, a Hall of Fame now, out of Grand Champion Suncrest, standing on the promise, and the dam is Confirmation Champion, Grand Champion, Eminem Sideshow, Keep the Faith, bred by Mr. Wayne Steele. 43 grand champion wins for this dog as of right now. Earned the degree in May of 2022. And then we have a couple red bones, a couple red bone males, two red bone males that have made grand champion Hall of Fame. Uh, the first one, confirmation champion, grand champion Hall of Fame, Wabash River Magic Mike, a male red bone born in June of 2015, owned by Libby Ann Lancaster, Ava Newcomb, and Charles and Eva Lancaster of Memphis, Nebraska. Yeah, this dog is sired by Grand Champion Wabash River Buck Wild and is off of Grand Champion Wabash River Tropical Storm that was bred by uh, Nikki Elburn just south of here in Peru, Indiana. 47 Grand Champion wins total for Magic Mike, earned a degree in June of 2021. Yeah, Libby Ann and Eva, two two young ladies who go to a lot of our youth events. Yeah, uh, They have a lot of Spotlight Series points, and I'm sure they'll be in uh, Elizabethtown at the Youth yeah. Nationals here in yeah. uh, July, so... Maybe they'll have Mike there with them. Yeah. Um, and rounding out our uh, Red Bone Grand Champion Hall of Fames are, oh boy, here we go. This Didn't we just on the last episode <laughs> talk about a dog that had all these titles? This one may be between the two of them. They, Wow. Kayla, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I did not do any studying, <laughs> so I apologize. Yeah. UR01, AP2, VPA. I think this is United Weight Pool Champion, the UWPO, Grand Water Champion 2, Grand Field Champion 2, Knight Champion. Grand Champion Hall of Fame, KNZ's Disaster in the Making, HTX. <laughs> Mouthful. A male redbone born in January of 2011, owned by Kayla Cooper and Sean Quinn of Briarfield, Alabama. Yeah, it's no no question. This dog has a lot more talents than you and I combined here. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, this dog is off of Confirmation Grand Champion, Grand Champion Anlin's Natural Disaster, and the dam is Grand Champion Firebrand's Red Hot Jade. Bred by Paige Renison and Chris Cottrell. 40 grand champion wins total for this dog. Earned the degree in October of 2021. I think uh, Kayla and Misty Arrington and Lee Hogan, they just like to make sure our programmers are on their toes, figuring out how to put all these titles on the dog's name on their paperwork. Yeah. It has to be what they're doing. Yeah. But uh, You and I do good <laughs> with the water race titles and the field, tra or field trial titles. Yeah, know. that's right. Well, hey, that's kind of a wrap on what we're talking about today. We only have one breed left to go through the Grand Champion Hall of Fame stuff, and that's the Walkers. I think there's 18 of those, so we'll get to those on uh, one of our, our next uh, Coonhound episodes whenever we're able to fit it in. And like we said, well, then we'll talk about them as we go so we won't uh, uh, get too tied up on them and we give each dog their, their due, and uh, I think that's important. Uh, yeah, so some great topics today, and I, I really enjoyed talking about them for sure. Yeah, we sure hope you guys enjoyed them too, and uh, 
Hope you stick around with us. Keep listening to us. Let us know what you think, what you think about it. And uh, we'll see you at the next event. Thank you for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops podcast. Be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss any of our new episodes or content.